appreciate it. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful Wednesday night crowd. And um, that speaks well of you, speaks well of the church, speaks well of your pastor. And uh, it's just a blessing to have a good crowd here tonight on a Wednesday night. I was preaching in Washington, D.C. a couple weekends ago. Friday night, there was hardly anybody there. Of course, if you had to run through the traffic around Washington, D.C., you probably wouldn't get to church either. Very easy. And Saturday night, just a corporal's guard was there, and that's hardly anybody. And Sunday morning, there was a pretty good crowd there, but just difficult to get there. And so it's a blessing to be here tonight, and I thank God for the opportunity and pray that the Lord would bless our hearts and help us this evening uh, in this service. I want to, I got to mark this thing that if you wouldn't have uh, got to go in there like that, brother, I wouldn't have thought of that verse of scripture. We'll, we'll run by it. I won't even tell you when we get there, maybe. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, read the last three verses in that chapter, and uh, maybe a little bit later we'll jump into the next chapter, just a couple of verses. But I want to talk to you tonight, and I want you as we go through here, it's very, uh, they just pop off the page to me, uh, the contrast of the Christian life. And I think also I might like to call this the sum and substance of the Christian life. Uh, the Christian life, uh, the experiences that we enjoy as a Christian are completely opposite to what the world even views anything that's going on in life. Look at what it says here in verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You can see a contrast between outward man and inward man. The outward man perishes every day. The Inward man is renewed day by day. Outward, inward, perish, renewed. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see light affliction and you say weight of glory. You see the light affliction is but for a moment and it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal so you, you've got affliction, light affliction, weight of glory. You've got moment and eternal. You've got a fleeting, brief instant of life. And as a child of God, we have eternal life. And then verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. There's a contrast. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The contrast between the Christian life and just regular life's experience. The outward versus the inward. The outward perishes and the inward are renewed every day. We're born the moment we are born. We breathe our first breath here in life and life begins. But if you would look at that also from this perspective... Not only does life begin the moment we breathe our first breath, but death commences. For when we we were born, we are beginning to die. It takes some a few years. It takes others maybe a few decades. 
but after life becomes death. We are beings that are perishing versus being born again. We've just begun to live when we get saved. That inward, that inward work of grace is constantly being renewed in the child of God. Uh, this is the verse that I read this the other day. I thought I about had a spell. I about had a Baptist spell just reading. And the fellow that I was reading after, he didn't do the whole verse. He just did part of it. I'm just going to do part of it, the same part he did. I tell you, it got a hold of my soul. There in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? Now I thought about that. Who, do we, who has a God like we have that pardons our iniquity? There is not an iniquitous person in this room. We all have iniquity. And we have a God who is unlike any other God who pardons our iniquity. And the last little phrase, this is what got a hold of my heart. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? Why does he do that? Because he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. You want to put a smile on God's face tonight? Just let him pardon your iniquity. He delights. It'll make him happy. It'll put joy in his eternal, ever-loving heart to see us get right about things in our life. You know, in Romans chapter 12, all of us know Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're to present our bodies. That's surrender. That's unconditional. God wants us to unconditionally surrender our bodies to him. To present our bodies a living sacrifice. And then he says, be not conformed to the world. That's separation. We're to be different. And then have our minds uh, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. God wants us to be spiritually minded beings. Our inward man is renewed. That renewal comes as that old man in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6, as that old man is crucified and we deal with him. Why would the old man need to be crucified? The Bible goes on to say the bot, that the body of sin might be destroyed. God wants us to have victory over sin. Now, sin is a noun. Sins are verbs. Sin is the principle. Sins are the practice of sin. So you have, we're all sinners. We have all sinned. We have all come short of the glory of God. But I'm going to tell you something, child of God. Once you get born again, once this experience takes place and we are, that inward man is renewed day by day. Oswald Chambers said this, after we are saved, it is not impossible to sin. 
but it is possible not to. I didn't wake up this morning and say, well, I wonder what kind of sin I can get messed up in today. I wonder how much ungodliness I can seek to perform today. It never even crossed my mind. Now, I don't know if I've sinned today or not. I've, one of the brethren asked me, said, well, I bet you're in better health than you were when you were here eight weeks ago. No, I still got those devils with me. I've carried these shingles now for eight solid weeks. I got enough to do a house, probably a 2,000 square foot roof. Long as I've had the, you say, why would you say it? Because I've heard so many roofing jokes since people found out I had this about sick of them, so I thought I'd tell one myself. I'm thankful that we have been justified. You see, justification is the imputed righteousness of God. I don't have any righteousness in and of myself. That righteousness, that imputed righteousness comes from him. Then we, have, then we can enjoy sanctification, which is personal righteousness that is attainable because we have been justified. Sanctification proves that we have been justified. Sanctification is the development. Justification delivers us from the penalty of sin. Sanctification delivers us from the power of sin. Justification declares us righteous. Sanctification makes us righteous. Justification is instant and final. Sanctification is gradual and sure in the child of God. Justification bears us. Sanctification sustains us. Justification is our nature. Sanctification is our nurture. Justification is imputed and sanctification is engendered in the true child of God. So we faint not. Our outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Now this is the third time I've spoken today. I've spoken twice over at a mission school. And I read this today. A man, a missionary, I think he said he's on the field for 19 years. I just read this little paragraph by R.A. Torrey. He said today, after I was done this afternoon, he said, God convicted me about some things in my life that I'm allowing. R.A. Torrey said this, never for a moment look at any picture that taints your imagination with evil suggestion. Avoid as you would poison every painting, every engraving, every etching, every photograph that leaves a spot of impurity on your mind. But feast your soul upon pictures that make you holier, kinder, more sympathetic, more tender, more like our Lord. I thought about that. If R.A. Torrey lived in our day and had to watch what some of you have watched today, if looked at some books that some of you have looked at in recent days, he would have had a heart attack. He's talking about pictures and paintings. We have it coming into our homes and defiling our lives. And we wonder why we need some sanctification 
at work in our lives? God, help us. God, help us. We need to quit feeding that old man and feeding that inner man. That inner man is renewed day by day. And then look at our light affliction. There just for a moment. But the eternal, there's a weight of glory. The light affliction versus the weight of glory. The moment versus the eternal. All these trials and problems and difficulties that we go through are nothing more than light afflictions. You say, Brother Green, I've had a heart attack, light affliction. Brother Green, I've had cancer, light affliction. Uh, you got this problem, I got that problem. Those are light afflictions compared to the tonnage of the glory of God that one day we're going to see in heaven. I like that. One of the greatest things to me about heaven, and our brother sang about it so wonderfully, the former things will be passed away. All the negative things, all the heartaches, all the criticism, all the gossips, all the hurt feelings, all of that, it will be gone. Trials are merely momentary. The weight of glory is forever. Forever and forever and forever. I read a story recently about two ministers and they had somehow come in contact with a blind boy in their neighborhood that... Uh, they seemed interested in. They would communicate with him as they'd go on their walks and uh, be together. And uh, one day they walked and one of them, you know, preachers talk, and one of them said, well, you know, I, every once in a while I have a little bit of doubt uh, what I'm preaching is really right and if I'm really uh, what I'm supposed to be. And the other one said, well, I have some doubt too about uh, how I live my life and sometimes even doubt my salvation, but I, it, it, it bothers me and I, I, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to think that way. And so they were walking one day and they saw a kite up in the air. And they said, uh, I wonder who's uh, flying that kite. And so they, their path led them over and they could see the string and they got over there. I don't know if I told you this or not, but that fellow that they had met, that kid, he was a blind boy. When they got over there, that blind boy was flying that kite. And one of those preachers said to that little fellow, he said, why in the world would you fly a kite? You can't see it. And that little fellow, through those blinded eyes and that brilliant answer came this from his lips. I just like to feel the pull from above. And I'll tell you something. There's a lot of times in life they don't really seem to make a lot of sense, but I am thankful tonight for the pull that comes from above and one of these days it's going to lift me all the way to glory. First Peter 1 and 8 says, Whom having not seen you love. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen him at all. Now, I guess Oral Roberts saw him some years ago. He said he was 900 foot tall. I don't know what he was eating that night. I don't know what kind of a mystery was going on there with poor Oral. But I don't think Jesus is 900 foot tall. He might be. Be fine with me. I don't care if he's, I don't, he's going to be perfect. He's going to be wonderful when we get to see him. 
light affliction, just here momentarily, but the weight of glory, that eternal weight of glory will far outweigh any of the momentary problems that we've experienced in this life. And then he said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. That's just temporary. They're not going to last very long. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Things that are seen, things that are not seen. Things that are seen are temporal. Things that are eternal, (laughs) we can't see them. The things of life, you know this as well as I do, they fade, they fizzle, they flop, they go away. Some of the things that uh, would cause people to be excited about life, they don't last very long. Uh, How many here tonight have the very first automobile you ever bought in your entire life and you're over 40 years of age? Nobody. Don't you remember that first car? Man, that was the greatest thing in the world. The first car I ever bought was a 1963 Corvette. Man, you talk about a great car. It was black, had red interior. Uh, I don't know, remember how fast it would go, but it went a lot faster than you were supposed to go. And I bought that car from a fella, and I had it for three days. My car payment was $56 a month. But my insurance payment was about $75 a month. And I was only making $62 a week. The car had to go. I I called the guy up and said, man, I can't afford the insurance on this thing. What's an 18-year-old boy need a 1963 Corvette for? So I had to have a car. So I bought a 66 442. I wish I had both of those cars today. And that Corvette, that uh, 442, I know would go 130 miles an hour because I buried the needle more than one time with that wonderful vehicle. We don't have the same car. I mean, that was the greatest car in the world for me. That's the, that's the car I started courting my, my wife in. Well, she was my girlfriend then. But I, I had a four on the floor had a bench seat, had red line tires, had that great engine in that thing, had positive traction. It was a fabulous a fire engine red, beautiful car. And, and Sandy started riding around with me when I got that car. I was a little worried when I got rid of it that she was going to leave me, but thank God she didn't. I think for a while there she just rode around with me because she liked the car. But I, I don't have that car anymore. That thing's, how many, how many live in the first house you ever bought and you have, you're over 40 years of age? Anybody like that? Man, we paid those payments and we kept fixing it up, but that's all gone. That's all gone. That's temporal. That's stuff of this world. It's important to us at the time, but on the scale of eternity, those things really don't matter all that much. My little house, first house my wife and I bought. First, first house I bought was a house trailer. We, went, we got married August the 8th, 1970. 
We went on a two-week honeymoon just because my boss, when I was walking out of the building, handed me another week's pay, said, take a second-week vacation. So I did. I was dumb. I probably shouldn't have. Should have went back to work. We were about 10 days into our honeymoon, and my wife said to me, said, where are we going to live when we go home from the honeymoon? Now, you think I'm stupid. I am. We hadn't hadn't planned. I hadn't planned beyond the, I mean, the honeymoon was it for me, I guess. I hadn't made any contingency plans for after the two-week honeymoon. And we were going off to Bible college. I graduated from state college. We are going off to Bible school. I said, man, we're going to have to find something, dear. We didn't have a stick of furniture. We had all the stuff we got for our wedding, all those wedding gifts, you know, and half of it you got to take back because who needs six coffee pots? That kind of stuff. We went and bought a house trailer, a 56-foot-long, 8-foot-wide house trailer, brand new. All the furniture, everything had cheap. They put cheap furniture in those things back in those days. I mean, we, we broke everything in the house, not trying. But that's all gone. I, that house trailer's probably gone, gone. We, we bought a little house in Lansing when we moved over there. Had 760 square feet in it. Two stories, 760 square feet. It's about as big as this pulpit. Just a tiny little thing. We lived in that thing. We raised, we raised our boys in there for 14 years in that little old house. It's still there, but I, that stuff's temporary. That's just here. I, listen, I've got, I've got a home forever in the heavens. And I'll give you this, and this is, this is, I've, this is a brand new sermon. I just put it together today. And uh, one thing about new sermons in my way I do sermons, they're either too long or too short. We're kind of thanking God tonight this one's too short. Because I don't have all the illustrations. None of that stuff I just gave you a moment ago, I'm going to have to write that in when I get home tonight. But look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5. It's someone talked about Brother Baloo. This isn't, this isn't uh, he's not looking forward to this. He's already there. If he was going to write this today, he would say, for I know, not for we know. But the Bible said, for we know that our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Thank God, thank God tonight, the evidence of the unseen is greater and more eternal than all of the facts of everything that you've ever seen in this life put together. Heaven is more than real that more than this transient life in which we are alive right now. I tell you, when we get to heaven, we will really be living. Whether we call it home, like our brothers sang, whether we call it heaven, whether we call it paradise, I tell you, friend, whatever we call it, it is where we are going to spend the, the eternal days of our redeemed life by the grace 
of our wondrous Savior. We'll worship him every moment. I didn't say minute. I didn't say hour because I don't think there's any time up there. We're not going to worry about that at all. We're not going to worry about when we get in or when we get out. We're going to be there throughout eternity. Thank God, thank God for this tabernacle, this house, this home, this place that Jesus Christ has prepared for those that he loves. That's you and me. He wants wants us to be the kind of people, the kind of Christians that we ought to be. He wants us not to get all wrapped up with the tawdry trinkets of this life, these things that are passing and fading and drying up and going away and dissolving. He wants us to set our affections on things above and those things that are eternal and lasting. Like I don't know who it was in the back somewhere tonight gave a testimony about giving a tract to a Muslim lady. God knows there's not a Muslim in this world that follows that faith that'll ever make it to heaven. None. There's no Muslims gonna stumble into heaven by believing that Allah is God. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby men must be saved through Jesus Christ and him alone. I thank God, 15th day of March, 1970, down beside a little bed, at 2124 Lawana Drive in Lansing, Michigan, I cried out to God. He looked down at me. He reached down and saved my never dying soul and my life has never been the same. This flesh is fading. This life is passing. But that we have in heaven is enduring. Enduring. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. I love this book. It's so full of interesting things that every once in a while, at least to a preacher, stuff just pops off the page. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us tonight. If there'll be someone in the building that's not a Christian, you'd help them to be saved. If there's someone in the building tonight that's so wrapped up in the things of this old world, whether it be a home, whether it be a car, whether it be a this or a that, whatever it is, God help them to realize those things are transient. They're they're not eternal. May we focus our attention. May we set our drive. May the goal of our life be those things which which are eternal, which are lasting, which are abiding, which one day will be rewarded, not by a pat on the back, but by the praise of him who has redeemed us. I pray you'd help us. I pray if there be some Christian in this room tonight, they're not just caught up with things that are neutral. They're caught up with things that are negative. They're spiritual negative drains that are dragging them down daily. They're looking at them They're reading them. 
They're practicing them. They're involved in them more than they're involved in the things of God. I pray the dear Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts. They'd feel that pull from above, not that drag from beneath. I pray you'd help us now to do some serious business at the altar as it's necessary. Brother, can you, can, you, can you sing that song she's playing? Or can you sing it, Brian? Just sing a verse or two of that. Let's stand our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to come and pray about something, step out tonight and do some business on a Wednesday night with your great God who has given you eternal life who has given you faith and hope and love and grace and forgiveness, who delights in mercy. He's pardoned us, and he delighted in being merciful to you. Would you come tonight and do some business with him?